Welcome, folks, to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I am your host today and every day, the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News in lovely Denver, Colorado, Jason Luber. And this is the show where I talk transportation in all forms and try to have some fun doing it. Today on the show, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm going to speak with Dr. Norma Hubel, who is the creator of the website, and it's called theautoprofessor.com. And Dr. Hubel does this ranking of cars with the grading system that we all know from grade school, A, B, C, D, or F. And it's about how well a car protects me in a fatal crash. She says her ranking and her grading system is a better and more representative ranking than the national crash test that we've heard, the five-star crash test ratings. Well, Dr. Hubel believes that her grading scale is more representative of how you would actually be uh, protected in a in a crash situation. So we'll find out all about her grading system, why she thinks it's better than the federal ranking. That's coming up in just a minute. But some housekeeping notes from the last show. So I was talking to our morning show executive producer the other day. Her name is Kirsten Boyd. And I was talking to Kirsten about last week's show, and she told me she's a huge fan of Nicole. Well, I think we're all a huge fan of Nicole. Nicole is great. Uh, but there's only one problem with her that her, uh, at least for me on the audio side, her levels are all over the place. I, I'm a radio guy at heart. That's why I love doing this show. I love radio. That was my first love in my life. And she is all over the place with her levels. She doesn't know how to address the mic and stay up to the mic, and she's all over the place. She's sometimes here, and then she's over here, and then she's over here, and then she's over here, and she's over here, and it's just, and it gets to be uh, very difficult to uh, get a good level on old Nicole. So that's my only frustration with her. Otherwise, she's great. Love having her here. Um, just need to teach her some better mic etiquette. And Kirsten is such a big fan of Nicole, actually, that she wants me to replace Joseph with Nicole. I think Joseph kind of knows that Nicole could take over at any moment. So that's always a possibility. It could happen. We, we never know when or if Joseph is going to be coming back to the show since it's been nearly two months now. So um, maybe Nicole will just be here all the time. Unfortunately, she can't be here now. That's the one thing about Nicole, too, is that she's she's here and then she's not here because she's out covering stories on, on a weekly basis. So uh, I, maybe I could figure out uh, a better schedule for uh, for good old Nicole and have her on the show more often. Well, anyway, the most humorous part of my conversation with Kirsten about about last week's show are the comments that she had about the mailbag. She really liked hearing from Lloyd. Remember Lloyd? He was the older gentleman that was complaining about uh, the name of the Eisenhower-Johnson tunnels. Well, during last week's show, I said you really don't hear kids nowadays being named Lloyd or any kind of name from the past like Lloyd or, or Bud Herbert, Walt is a good one, Margaret, you don't hear any Margarets nowadays, or Maggie's, Gene, that's a good one, Rex, how about Rex, that's a good old-timey name, uh, Dorothy, Wizard of Oz made me think of uh, Dorothy, you don't really don't hear a lot of Dorothys anymore, um, they, they, you know what, they just named the royal baby Archie, though, so that's kind of a throwback from the past, but nowadays, they're naming their kids Aiden, and Brooklyn, and Cooper, uh, and Cora and Jackson with an X and Serenity. Really, you should see some of the names that are floating by my kid's school. I mean, Jaylin even is an odder name. And, and Jolene and my other girl, that's a throwback from the past. So I guess I have, I have old and new in, in my family. Anyway, here's the funny part. Kirsten's last name is Boyd. And she says now she has put on her baby list the name Lloyd. Because she thinks it's going to be funny to have a kid named Lloyd Boyd. Yay! <laughs> Thank you very much. Lloyd Boyd. <laughs> that would be horrible. You know, it could be horrible. Kirsten would be making the kid predestined to be ridiculed and picked on for, for his entire life. At least his young life. A, a name can really shape who a person turns out to be. When you have a last name like Luber, you get picked on. I've, I've heard them all. I continue to hear them. 
and I'm 50. It shapes who you are and, and who you become. It does build some character. Uh, it can change your perception of people and how you deal with ridicule and, how, and people picking on you. So I guess, I guess it does build something in your life. But there are going to be kids who are going to pick on Lloyd Boyd more so than with a, another name than Lloyd Boyd. But when you say, uh, yes, reservations for five, please, the, the name, oh yeah, the name is Lloyd Boyd. But you know, as I'm saying it out loud more and more, uh, I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of getting you, it's kind of like, it reminds me of James Bond. The name is Boyd. Lloyd Boyd. What of it? I'm Lloyd Boyd. Your move. It sounds, <laughs> it's a better name for a grizzled old man, I think, who has spent way too much time working in the detached garage. What you doing out there, Lloyd? Nothing. Mind your own business, punk. What? What, you, you want to make something of it? I'm Lloyd Boyd. That's who I imagine Lloyd Boyd is. The kind of guy who, who won't drink fancy beers. He only drinks straight on Budweiser. Not a Bud Light. No light beer for me. Full strength Bud, pal. I'm Lloyd Boyd. I only drink Budweiser. I'm an American Lloyd Boyd. I think having a military background would give Lloyd Boyd a bit more gravitas as well. I'm kind of hoping that Lloyd Boyd would be my adoptive grandfather at this point. I think Lloyd Boyd would be a pretty cool cat. Like a grumpy old man, the get-off-my-lawn kind of grandpa. In our day, we drove cars and we liked it. We didn't have these fancy self-driving cars. We had to get out and fill it up with gasoline ourselves. None of this fancy electric from our house. And we liked it. Hmm. That is Lloyd Boyd to a T. So I guess now I'm going to probably encourage Kirsten to put Lloyd at the top of their baby boy name list because we have to have somebody named Lloyd Boyd. Thinking of Lloyd Bridges. If we can have a Lloyd Bridges, why can't we have a Lloyd Boyd? I think it's brilliant. So Kirsten, please, as you listen to this, please share your love of the Lloyd Boyd with the rest of the world because... I would hope to uh, to meet Lloyd someday. There are some things that you're not supposed to do, like you're not supposed to tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off a Lone Ranger, you don't offer Lloyd Boyd a light beer, and you don't joke around with a flight attendant. A man on a flight from Sacramento to Austin, Texas, was actually kicked off a plane after joking with another passenger that the flight attendant overheard. Now, the flight was still on the tarmac there in Sacramento, and before heading off, the pilots needed to check out a maintenance light that came on there in the cockpit. So that process was delaying the flight, and it did so for a couple of hours. So the crew, trying to be nice, started passing out some water to the passengers, free of charge. Here's some water so you can get through this. Maybe you're getting thirsty, whatever, because we're just sitting here. And this guy, who was eventually kicked off the flight, said just to the person next to him in the next seat, he said, they should be passing out vodka because we've been waiting so long. It's, I mean, it's not, not a super funny joke, but, but I, you know, I, I, I get it. It's a, it's, a, it's a silly comment. Well, the passenger sitting next to this guy who said that comment said that the flight attendant, who he described as young, did not take kindly to that comment. The passenger said she came by and was like, I don't think that, and I didn't like your joke. Other passengers were shocked by the flight attendant's reactions, as I would be. And this guy didn't even say it to the flight attendant. He was sitting there speaking to his seatmate, and the flight attendant overheard this comment. She just overheard it. She overheard the joke between two passengers. So then, all of a sudden, the flight attendant, I guess who was really bugged at this point, went to the front of the plane and was seen talking on the telephone, and that's when the plane turned back to the gate and several sheriff's deputies then came on board to ask the man to get off. 
The passenger said other passengers started yelling at the police. Many stood up. People were saying this man didn't do anything. And the sheriff's office says the man was not charged with any crime, even though he was escorted off the plane. An official complaint was filed against that specific flight attendant with Southwest Airlines. And Southwest Airlines had released this following statement. It says, we regret any less than positive experience a customer has on board our aircraft. We welcome over 100 million customers each year, and we aim to maintain the comfort of all while delivering Southwest hospitality. We will share this report with our consumer relations team. Well, it's not good. Southwest is usually the fun airline, right? Ha ha, fun, fun. This wasn't so fun. To, to, to me, it seems like that's a lot of power for one person to have on that airplane. I, I guess that she was talking to the pilot when she got on the phone because the pilot is the one that would take take the aircraft back over to the gate so that passenger could then be escorted off by the sheriff's deputies. But I, I doubt that the flight attendant and the pilot had any lengthy discussion about the seriousness of the situation. They probably talked about it later. And I would think any reasonable person would have told this flight attendant that that you took it too seriously. Lighten up. These people have been sitting on a plane for several hours and you're passing off water. And the, the guy makes an offhanded comment to his passenger friend there in the seat next to him. And you overheard it. It wasn't even directed towards you or the rest of the crew. It was really just a, a, a being some guy being silly to the to the person sitting next to him. And then you get offended because you overheard the comment. And it really wasn't even bad. Every I, I can't think of many other people that wouldn't have said something similar. Or uh, I, I can't think of anybody except this woman who would be offended by it. I guess at the root of this, I feel bad for this guy because he got kicked off of a flight for a joke that, that I could easily is, have, have said. I mean, a hundred others could have easily said the same thing or something very similar. I'm sure, I'm sure she was bugged, this flight attendant, that the plane was, was not going anywhere. Maybe she was having a bad day at work. Something else was going on in her life, and that's why she reacted that way. But hey, the, the joke wasn't even directed at her or at the crew. She overheard the joke. That's eavesdropping in my book. And whatever happened to the Southwest humor, right? Aren't they the ha-ha funny airline? I mean, it's the same one where they promote creative flight attendant behavior, where they're doing the safety demonstrations and they're always cracking jokes, right? So maybe this guy was just living the Southwest way cracking a joke and thought maybe the flight attendant would have slipped him a vodka. I'm sure that's one of the reasons he said it. Maybe he thought she was going to overhear it and, oh, yeah, here you go. Here's a vodka for you because you've been waiting for so long. Because, ha-ha, we are Southwest and we're the jokesters. But apparently the joke was on him. He was kicked off the plane. You know what? Now that I think about it, maybe they should have a joking and non-joking section. Uh, the joking section, folks, will be in the back of the airplane, right next to the lavatories. Haha, <laughs> the joke's on you. That deserves a rim shot. <laughs> okay. Moving on. We have been told that certain cars or trucks are safe based on crash test data from the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. But that old standard is being challenged. The auto professor says she has come up with a more accurate way to tell how well you're going to be protected in a crash. Well, to talk about her new auto grades is the founder of the auto professor, Dr. Norma Hubel. And Dr. Hubel is a university professor, consumer advocate, automotive safety expert who has studied auto crash statistics and auto safety for over 30 years. Her bio says she has provided expert witness testimony in over 100 legal cases involving vehicles and wants to inform you so you can make your best and safest vehicle purchase possible. Without any further delay, let me welcome Dr. Norma Hubel to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, thank you very much, Jason. I'm very happy to be here. And thank you for that very wonderful 
introduction. I'm glad to do it. First, let's get to know a bit about you. How did you get started studying vehicle safety? Uh, Excellent question. As a a statistician teaching statistics to engineers at Arizona State University, it was uh, my opportunity to have a phone call. And it's not unusual for university professors to get phone calls from community asking for help on specific problems. And I got a call from some some bioengineers who were working on a car crash, and they had some data they needed analyzed, and that was in the late 80s. And I said yes. So over 30 years later, I'm um, become an expert in the field because I kept getting phone calls. And I developed an interest in the data. It served my purposes at the university because I could teach students about statistics using real live examples from car crashes and talk about how data can be manipulated for certain purposes and how uh, you got to ask important questions about the data. And my name kind of got circulated in the legal community. And here I am uh, 30 years later and over 100 cases under my belt. Before we get to how you grade crash safety, what did you dislike about the way that the NHTSA collected and reported their crash data? What made you so driven to create your own auto grades? Excellent question, and it really became a personal issue. I uh, had a daughter in her 20s, and she was dating a fellow, And being an expert in car crashes, I naturally asked, what does he drive? And um, when I heard what he was driving, I became a little little scared, basically. And uh, her response to me was, it's brand new and it's five-star rated. And it suddenly struck me that this is how the public perceives the star ratings, that they don't read the fine print. So here's the basic problem with the star rating system. One is that it is class and size specific. So a Honda Civic may get a five star um, and a Chevy Tahoe may get a five star. But that doesn't mean that a Honda Civic, when colliding with the Chevy Tahoe, protects its occupants. It means that among the cars that are like a Honda Civic, the Honda Civic Uh, performs at a five-star rating, but it tells you nothing about how it performs relative to other vehicles. If you're going to compare a Civic versus a Tahoe, then are you also then comparing a Civic versus a Escalade, a Civic versus a smart car, a Civic versus every make and model car there is? The federal star rating system does not do that. That's the fundamental problem. Our auto grades, which we can get into discussing in a bit here, do not restrict it at all. So we're going to tell you how this car really performs when it's in collisions with other vehicles. So the federal star rating system has basically bowed to the industry and said, um, we understand that there are small cars and there are cars that cannot Um, protect occupants in crashes with bigger vehicles, but we're going to put that in the fine print. So if you look at the federal star rating system, they'll say, you know, the Honda Civic or the um, Toyota Corolla is five star, and then they put in um, fine print, oh, this is the class and size specific, and you cannot compare this rating to vehicles of a different class and size and compare their ratings. So the consumer basically is left with no real information because if you're considering, for example, a full-size sedan or you're considering and you want to compare it to a minivan, you can't do that using the star rating. So what exactly are the auto grades and how are they then more representative to how safe a vehicle is in a crash versus another vehicle? Well, here's the situation with the auto grades. We are using the statistics that the federal government has used for over 30 years to say things like uh, hundreds of lives have been saved using seatbelts, so buckle up. 
airbags have saved lives, so be sure that you're positioned correctly in front of your seat for the seat airbag, or they've been dangerous because they've killed small children. Always put your children in the back seat. Well, those policy statements come from federal statistics. We use those exact same statistics drill down to the VIN number of the vehicles in these crashes, which are the fatal, all the fatal crashes that occur on our nation's highways, and we organized the data in such a way that we ranked vehicles regardless of what they crashed into and said, here's the track record of protecting the driver. By the way, we insist in our statistics that the driver be belted so the driver is performing or behaving properly, but they might have been in a crash with the vehicle that did not, that basically won the fight. And so the vehicle that they were in experienced the fatality. Their grade is going to look lower than the car that drove away because that driver did not die. So in a sense, you can think of it as a survivability grade. So you're only, though, looking at crashes that a fatality happened and not necessarily every crash that happened with those vehicles. Correct. Correct. And what we are, our data has shown that um, the fatality rate is highly correlated or, or maps very closely to other kinds of crashes. So if people are dying in particular cars, they're also getting severely injured in those cars as well. Did you also take into account the people driving the car if they were under the influence or if they were elderly and had some kind of medical issue or some other case where the driver might have been more at fault in in dying in the crash than the performance of the vehicle? Great question. We require that the driver be belted. So once you make that requirement in the statistics, the majority of the um, drivers under the influence are eliminated from the database. The age characteristic actually comes into play because um, as statisticians that have studied auto safety statistics for over 30 years, we know that your vulnerability in a crash is related to your physique. And as we age, we get more fragile, we get more vulnerable. And so our auto grades are also segmented by age and sex of the driver. So we take that into account. And if you look at our grades and you get drilled down to the, we call them personal auto grades, you'll see that in a typical pattern, younger people in a car will get a better grade than older people in a car. We've been always using the term safety, and I think it comes from these five-star safety ratings, but I look at it differently. I look at, as you were talking earlier, about the driver behavior. That falls in the category of safety. So do we buckle up? Do we drive without our cell phones? Do we um, make sure we're paying attention to the road? Do we conform to the speed limits? That's safe behavior. The vehicle, on the other hand, offers the protection. So our grades are really telling you how well the vehicle protected drivers in the worst crashes. And there are all kinds of contributing factors to a crash. There's driver behavior, there's environmental, there's road hazards. All those kinds of things can contribute to a crash happening. What our grades tell you is, What's the track record of these cars in protecting their belted driver in the event of this chaotic situation that we all live in? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. But when somebody is making the choice not to buckle up then, then do all the safety uh, factors that you are looking at go out the window up, apparently? Oh, Yes. So you can have the safest vehicle, you can buy the car that we rate as an A, but if your behavior is not, um, if you will, A rated, so you're taking all these risky choices, 
drinking, not belting, driving fast, going around curves fast, um, talking with your friends on the phone and so forth, then that car doesn't, isn't necessarily going to protect you. And that's one of the problems that as parents we face is that we want to protect our children. So we want to put them in the car that offers the best protection. But sometimes our children say, well, I'm in a Chevy Tahoe. I don't have to buckle up. I don't have to behave. And I've been involved in cases where there's been tragedy as a consequence that um, there, you know, the behavior does not, uh, is not covered by this protection level, that you have to have both. You have to have good behavior in a vehicle that offers you protection against the other driver or the conditions outside of your control. As a parent of two girls, one is 10, the other is seven, so they're not quite driving yet, but I would like to at least help them purchase a vehicle when they get to be 17 or 18. Uh, I don't know about 16, just because they'll be so young of a driver. But I I think cost, not only safety of the vehicle, is a factor in my head about what kind of car I want them to drive, whether it is mine that I'm just going to give down to them, or it is a smaller vehicle and doesn't cost that much, because price is a factor, at least for me, and I know a lot of folks around me. Right, right. And so what... What we recommend you do is that um, you look at your budget, you look at the um, what seems to work for your child, and um, there's economies of driving the vehicle, and you start narrowing it down in that respect, and you look at our grades as a ingredient to part of that decision making, and it may be that you offer your, or you decide that, you know, the car you currently have, you're going to pass down in six years. And we will tell you, the auto grades will tell you, is that suitable for your younger driver? Um, But then you've got that other responsibility of promoting the good behavior. And uh, I've been asked by parents before about this, and my recommendation is very old-fashioned. If you function as a good driver and promote good behavior, then that will migrate to your child because they'll, they're watching you for the next six or seven years. I'm speaking with Norma Hubel with the autoprofessor.com talking about car crash safety. I imagine you as a college professor don't have the budget to crash your own cars. And that's probably why you're looking at this data. But don't you think you can uh, derive a lot of good information from crashing cars into each other or into something else and get, even though you don't have a live person in there? Right. And don't get me wrong, the star rating system and these experimental, I call them experimental crashes because they're very, very structured, um, are critical and have played a very important role in improving the protection level of vehicles uh, for occupants, even though there are dummies in the cars. And they've standardized these um, these crash tests. And manufacturers have definitely risen to the occasion to improve their star rating. But, you know, we're a data-driven society. We don't go out to eat unless we look at the rating of that restaurant. Uh, we look at consumer reviews for Um, buying products off the web. And you can think of our grades as the ultimate user experience. You know, it's telling you what has happened to real people in real cars. Because one of those important pieces, I think, of data in those controlled crashes is what happens to the people inside the crashes, whether it is a fatality or just serious injury or just no injuries at all. Can, Can you really look at the true safety of a vehicle without looking at all the injuries that uh, happened in any kind of crash, not just fatalities? Well, uh, because the federal government only samples these other types of crashes, we don't get a complete picture that we can therefore go down to the consumer level of information at the uh, make model year. So those sample statistics play an important role in policy development, but they're not useful as a consumer piece of information. But we know that the 
crashes that do not cause a fatality but do cause severe injuries, those cars are more likely to have a fatality in them in the worst crashes. So there's a relationship there. It's not perfect, but it's these grades, we believe, provide the missing piece of information for safety-minded people. You can compare a sedan to a compact uh, vehicle. You can compare a compact SUV to a crossover. You can compare a crossover to a full-size SUV. These grades relate totally across the board, where no other safety rating system can do that for you. Okay, so let's talk cars and talk grades. So what do you have for sure. grades? Uh, is it the standard ABC system that we all know uh, when we're going to school? Yes, yes. And that's what I wanted to make it as uh, simple and as intuitive as, um, as possible. Because what I'm trying to do, uh, Jason, is to take the knowledge that I've had in the classroom, in the courtroom, and bring it into the living room. I'd like to be a source of real safety information for consumers. I'm suggesting that you look at all the safety ratings available, and, but include the auto grade as well because you're going to have a realistic picture of what has happened. And every system has its own way of ranking. We use the auto grades because you can see that, and you know yourself, I'm sure, when you're shopping for a car, there are a lot of trade-offs. You've got um, your budget, you've got miles per gallon, you've got capacity that you're interested in. And what we're like to do is to give you even the granularity. We have pluses and minuses on our auto grades. So, you know, for example, when my niece was looking, should I upgrade my car or not? She was driving a B minus car, and, but she was expecting a baby. She said, okay, when the baby comes, I'll upgrade. But right now I'm fine. So, you know, different different um, utilities or points of view for safety can be applied to our grades. But how, but how much safer is a B-minus car to a B-plus car or a uh, A from a C? I mean, is there really that much of a difference between a B-plus and, an, and a B-minus and an A and a C? Um, it's, you know, it's just like in the classroom. You know, there there are more fatalities in a in the track record of a C vehicle than there were in an A vehicle. Proportionally, it's a higher fatality rate. Think of it that way. So basically, uh, the cars that are getting an F, uh, they are the ones that are F for fatality, I suppose. <laughs> you can think of it that way. And when we were writing up on for our website an explanation of the grades, we almost said, uh, for the F, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> so, so would you, if you would consider an F vehicle, most people who drive an F vehicle, and I'm talking about, you know, the the uh, low riding sports vehicles, um, are riding driving them for a different reason. So, you do have cars that get an F rating. Oh yes. What are some of those cars? Uh, like I said, the low-riding sports vehicles. You, uh, there are Porsches in there. Um, there are Corvettes in there. And uh, especially older gentlemen shouldn't be driving these vehicles. And that's pretty sad for some fellows. Basically, <laughs> midlife crisis cars. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> for a guy, you can afford it now, but you might not want it. <laughs> well, I still can't afford it. And I turned 50 recently, so I, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, is there one? <laughs> is there one automaker that generally has safer vehicles than others? Uh, excellent question, and that's been asked of me uh, repeatedly. Um, and they tend to be the. Um, the Japanese uh, Toyota, Honda, or you're looking at the big Dodges. But if you're looking across the board for sedans, they tend to be the, uh, the if you're looking for a sedan, you're probably going to end up in the luxury vehicle. Um, for example, I drive a TSX. It's, to me, it's not luxury, but an Acura is considered a little bit higher end. They, uh, but I have a 2010 and it's an A minus, for example, and um, so you can go back a few years and get a sedan 
that uh, will give you a pretty good grade. We're speaking with uh, Norma Hubel with the autoprofessor.com, talking about car crashes and car crash safety and her website, autoprofessor.com. I drive a Chevy Volt. Have you looked at uh, the safety rating for Chevy Volt? I don't think we have enough data yet. And so the newer models, um, nope, we don't have a Chevy Volt in there yet. Is that the case, you think, for a lot of electric vehicles because there might maybe not enough of them on the road and enough with uh, fatal crashes? Correct. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. We need we need some experience in the database to be able to grade the vehicles. Well, then I'm going to say it's an A because there uh, must not have been a lot of fatal crashes with the Chevy Volt, uh, and so therefore I'm driving a super safe car. <laughs> we addressed that in our uh, frequently asked questions. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm going to go uh, with. Yeah, you, Okay. Well, you know, uh, as a professor, no comment. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, we've heard for years that, you know, Volvo are the safest cars out there. Is that that one of the safer ones? Well, uh, yes, you can find safe Volvos, and you can find safe uh, Subarus, and you can find safe Toyotas. So um, according to our statistics, the Volvo doesn't particularly stand out. You know, it's, uh, it's got its winners and its losers. And um, so our point of view, and we've been asked repeatedly, um, can you come up with, can you tell me what the safest car is on the road? And as a, um educator, I've always felt that our mission in the world is to help people make their own decisions and to give information to the con- in this instance to give information to the consumer so that they can weigh their options you get in a rx and you really like your rx you're comfortable in it now you say okay i'm thinking about buying this vehicle what's its safety rating so now you can come to us and be confirmed or be given a little piece of information this is well maybe i should look elsewhere so we're um, not advocating one make model over another. What we're advocating is that if you're concerned about safety, then come see us and we'll help you uh, narrow down your choices. Would you buy a car on your grading system that's a C? No. How about a B? Possibly, yes. And definitely an A? Yes. If you were uh, going to uh, advise me in buying a car, what grade would you say is the lowest I should be looking at a car with your grading system? I wouldn't go below the B minus. That's my personal, my personal level, my personal comfort level. And um, and then some folks have said the same thing to me, and I said, well, if you have an option and you have the ability you buy a vehicle that has the driver-assisted technologies, um, forward collision warning, lane departure, and you really, really love this vehicle, then beef it up with those kinds of technologies if you can. What does it cost me if I go to your website, uh, autoprofessor.com, and I want to look up whatever vehicle I might be interested in or the one I'm currently driving now? What does that cost me to look it up and find out what my auto grade is? Absolutely nothing. It's a totally free service. My mission in life is to help people make good decisions with respect to car safety. And I've devoted many years to developing this grading system. And I'm offering it to consumers for free because I think we deserve that information. It's federal information. It's information that our taxpayer, taxpayer money has gone into collecting And now I want to help people use it to make better decisions. Well, I see your last name is not Gates or Bezos or Branson. So what do you you get out of the auto grades then if you're giving it to everybody for free? Well, basically what I've done is I've taken the proceeds from my expert witness work and used it to develop my website. I've had um, a crew of people um, that have financed between my husband and I. It was a decision we made as a family um, that we're going to uh, float this uh, this consumer information. We don't float any cookies on it. It's a safe place for people to come look 
up their grades. People look at me and say, what are you kidding? It's free. You're not haunting me. You're not selling my information. We're not doing any of that. We don't know where it's going to go from here. Our vision is, uh, our optimum vision is that it becomes part of when you go on these advertising websites, uh, such as Auto Trader or Kelly Blue Book or Carvana or Cars.com, that it is a criteria that you can filter on um, to pick the car that you're, you know, you might try out or might investigate buying. So we want the auto grades to become part of the culture of the car buying process. And as a matter of fact, um, when you go on our website, and I invite your listeners to go on our website, uh, we do have a um, pop-up survey that asks people to give us feedback. And to date, the feedback is unbelievably positive. Nine, over 95% of people say that they, if they could use it in a searching for a car, they would, and they plan on using it, even though they have to go to a totally separate website right now. They, um, they are using it to purchase their next car. That 97% are telling their family and friends about it. About 60% of the people say it's changed their mind on what car to purchase. So um, we think that we have some very useful information. And my mission right now is to spread the word and get people to um, investigate it as you're investigating it. You know, it, um, it's, some, it's a piece of information. It's not the complete complete picture. Like you say, you've got a budget and you've got uh, the personality of the person that's going to be driving the car, um, that they have certain choices that they want. And like I said from the beginning, you know, midlife crisis guy, he doesn't care what the grade is. <laughs> right. So, um, right. So, you know, um, we're here to help. That's what we're here for. Have you heard from the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration about your auto grades? No, I have not. What would you say to them, or would you expect them to ever contact you about uh, the difference between their star rating and your grade rating? Uh, I'd love to talk to them. Uh, I communicate with them on research issues. Um, I'd be happy to talk to them. I, uh, I have no problem doing that. I think, uh, like I said, they've played an incredibly important role, and I am not suggesting we don't do crash testing. I am suggesting that once the vehicle gets on the road, that we should have this information available to the consumer. It's kind of, Jason, it's kind of like, you know, when they do the, these um, clinical trials on prescription medicine. Sure. That's very important before the medicine hits the market. But if your doctor is subscri- uh, prescribing uh, medicine, he's not talking about the clinical trials anymore. He's talking about what's happened to real people who have taken this medicine. So uh, it's the experience of people, and there's a whole variety of those people, just as there are a variety of road conditions, a variety of drivers. And what we're offering the consumer is here's, in general, how these vehicles rank based on the real experience of people. What do you think is going to happen in the future when we have autonomous cars that are driving themselves and then they won't crash as often because they are not under the human experiment where we are uh, I, we, we tend to be well human uh, and and computers aren't and they tend to be more reliable right. do you think we're still going to have uh, the same kind of problems in the future with autonomous cars or are we still going to crash and, and kill each other in, in our vehicles I think that future is at least 50 years off, um, that the autonomous vehicles aren't, but to the extent to which they're going to impact our uh, fatality statistics are pretty far off. Uh, For example, you know, right now, uh, you can take a taxi. And um, if you're impaired, for example, you can take a taxi, but do people choose to take a taxi? Not necessarily. And those drivers that are impaired are causing some of these fatalities or a good percentage of these fatalities. So I think that, yes, um, that this will impact the fatality rate. It takes years and years and years to change over 
the fleet of vehicles on the road. And um, so I think that we're pretty far off. In the meantime, we've got loved ones that we want to protect, your daughters as they grow older, my daughter who's now married with a young family. So we want that information now and hope for the future. And with the autonomous vehicles, I do vote for the autonomous vehicles. I just think there's a long road ahead. It sounds like you really follow a lot about transportation and uh, enjoy it so much. What, what makes you enjoy transportation so much? Because we're always all on the road, every uh, almost every hour of wake, our waking hour. That um, I think that the technology is a um, phenomenal thing that's moved our society forward. Um, it gives. Um, I love a road trip from a very young age. I we. That was our Sunday. We lived with my grandmother, and my grandmother would stay home, and the family would go off on a road trip, and I could feel that sense of freedom to go out and enjoy the fresh air and go to – We I grew up in New England, so we had the, um, the shores or the mountains to visit. So um, I've always loved it. Um, perhaps being hit by a car when I was six years old uh, – was a traumatic experience that floated in the back of my mind all these years. But um, I also like to play poker and um, at a young age. And uh, so that drove me to study statistics and car statistics are everywhere. And so it's a very rich field, both professionally and socially. It's a nice topic to talk about. And do you still do teaching? No, I retired from the university. Uh, I'm in the emeritus status. I still work on a committee or two here and there, but um, and I still publish because it's in my blood. But uh, right now my mission is to help consumers pick uh, safer cars for their loved ones. And I very much appreciate, Jason, your, your inviting me to speak on this program. I think you're doing uh, everybody a wonderful service in other podcasts, and I hope in this one as well. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Norma Hubel with the autoprofessor.com. You can look it up right now at autoprofessor.com. The link is on uh, the description of the podcast. So I can't thank you enough for spending all this time uh, with us and uh, telling us how we can uh, pick a car that hopefully is going to keep us safe on the road. I appreciate the opportunity, Jason. And um, sometimes uh, we miss the word the in front, so it's theautoprofessor.com. And uh, I am look forward to hearing from uh, visitors and fill out our, our questionnaire because uh, we'd love to know what you think of our product. Very good. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jason. Take care. And that website, once again, it's called theautoprofessor.com. Don't forget the, theautoprofessor.com. I want to uh, look up quickly one of the cars that she said performed poorly. Uh, Porsche. Here's Porsche 911 Turbo. Uh, year 2001 to 2011. Let's pick 2011. Uh, get the auto grade. Click. Uh, D minus. <laughs> That's not good. So the Porsche 911 Turbo gets a D minus. Uh, what about a Chevy Corvette? How about a Corvette? They have a Stingray. They have Corvette. Let's t- pick Corvette. Uh, 2013 is the latest one. 2013, uh, D solid D (laughs) that's not good for the Corvette. Uh, what about a Hummer Hummer? I would think a Hummer would be pretty safe. Let's try Hummer, uh, H2 or H3. Let's check H2. Uh, the H3 I'm sure would do well too. year. Uh, the latest year they have for the H2 is 2009. Oh, it gets an A, a perfect A. Well, it's a tank. I mean, it's a military vehicle. You would, you would hope that it's going to be survivable uh you'd be survive a uh, fatal crash in a in a hummer because it's a it's it's basically a military vehicle so there you go so you can check out how your car did at the autoprofessor.com the autoprofessor.com uh coming up uh this weekend it's memorial day the unofficial start of summer uh my community pool it should be open and many will be hitting the road for their road trips i have a road trip coming up too it's going to be in a couple of weeks Going from here in Denver all the way to Hutchinson, Kansas. Yay! Yeah. Going to be there at the uh, Hutchinson Sports Arena. 
for the USTA Central Region Regional Baton Twirling Championships. That's right, USTA, not the United States Tennis Association, the United States Twirling Association. Uh, that drive for me is going to be about, I think it's seven or seven and a half hours, something like that, depending on how uh, much gas I want to burn across some very flat terrain and barren terrain. I've driven across Kansas a couple of times in my life. The last one I drove all the way across Kansas was in an RV back from Miami from the Broncos Super Bowl. I, I did this Super Bowl trip for the uh, Super Bowl 33, I think it was. Last time John Elway played in the Super Bowl, uh, I was in an RV from Denver all the way down to Atlanta and then Miami because we were playing the uh, the Falcons that year, and I stopped in some of the hometowns of the Bronco players along the way. We were playing on that team, and I did this as a, as a radio thing, a TV thing, and uh, then I drove back all the way from Miami after the Super Bowl, three days from Miami to Denver in an RV. That was uh, pretty tough getting across Kansas, I'll tell you that. I'm going to be at the Hutchinson Sports Arena. It's going to be on June 8th and 9th. So if you are in that area, happen to be in the area, maybe somewhere around Wichita or anywhere in eastern Kansas or I guess maybe northern Oklahoma, anywhere around there, hey, if you want to come up and say hi, please do. I'm going to be helping with the announcing uh, at the event. So just jump up there to the uh, scores table and say hey and that you like the show and we'll, we'll have a chat if you will, a little chat in the Hutchinson Sports Arena in beautiful downtown Hutchinson, Kansas. I hear they actually have a really cool space museum there that I'm supposed to check out. They even have the, uh, I guess it's the space, the actual lander uh, that was on the moon for Apollo 13. And that, when it came back, they put it now in this uh, Air and Space Museum, museum in Hutchinson, Kansas. So maybe we'll take a look at that anyway. Thanks again for uh, checking out the show today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.